Good morning, everybody. This is part two in a series that we're doing called City on a Hill. And so let me start with the Would You Rather. Some of you are not going to like this Would You Rather, but I like Would You Rather, so here we go. Would you rather be friends with someone who agrees with your faith but disagrees with your politics or be friends with someone who agrees with your politics but disagrees with your faith? So, kind of think through this one. Let's say you meet somebody and you strike up a conversation and you start talking about politics and you're going down the list and it's immigration and rioting and BLM and this candidate and that candidate and it's just like check, 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 agree, agree, and you really like this person. And then at the end of the conversation they say, hey, by the way, I'm an atheist. And then a few minutes later, you run into a person, you start talking, and you, again, talk about politics, you go through the list, and it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's, not, it's not going well. Disagree, disagree, disagree. Your blood is starting to boil. You think this is the kind of person that's destroying the nation. And then at the end of the conversation, they say, oh, by the way, I believe in Jesus. I read my Bible every day. I go to church on Sundays. So which one of those two people would you rather be friends with? Now, I can't read your mind, but I know there's a good chance some of you are probably thinking, I, this, is a, this is a horrible question, give me option C. In fact, that's what option C is. Phil, this is a really dumb question. Because a lot of you would say, you, you can't have that. You can't have these two categories come together. So if a person calls themselves a Christian, they can't believe X, Y, and Z. Like, like your, your, your question is simply impossible. Well, I will tell you as the preacher of a very large church that I have had people come up to me over the years and say something like this. Phil, I am a Republican because of my faith. And I've also had people say the opposite. Phil, I'm a Democrat because of my faith. So these people do exist as in the person that feels differently about this uh, subject than you do. And so the question becomes, how do, we, like, how do we move forward here? How do we be the church when the country is so divided? And so here's, here's the big point of the lesson, and I'll, I don't think you'll, you'll hear this point on news or on a, on a feed on social media because it's not, advertisers are not going to buy ads based, based on the... Uh, a point like this, but I think it's really important for the church. And so, so here's the point. Our common faith is greater than our divided politics. There's, all, there's always going to be division, and, but there's this choice. You can focus on what brings us together or what drives us apart. And so what I want to do is I want to spend a few minutes looking at a, a passage of Scripture which is so important to think about this pretty difficult topic. I want to go to the book of Romans. The book of Romans is an amazing book. It's written to this, uh, the most influential city in the most powerful nation in the world. And what's amazing about this church is we know a lot about the background of this church. So at the end of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 16, there's this list of 29 names. It's just the church role. And so we know a lot about these, these people. So it, it has people like Priscilla and Aquila and Mary and Junia and Urbanus. Some of the people in, in Romans 16 are Jewish. They have Jewish names. Some of the people are, are Gentiles. They have Gentile or, or Greek names. And so this tells us a lot about the makeup of this church. 
And so what I want to do is I want to introduce you into two people that, that existed in this church, Rufus and Hermes. These two names are in Romans chapter 16. Rufus is a Jewish name. Hermes is a Gentile name. And these people represent two very distinct groups in that particular church. And so if you, if you read Romans, a, a lot of what Paul talks about is, is that there's these two groups and they're not getting along at all. And so here, let me summarize the, the various positions here so you can understand just how much these people disagreed. So Rufus, being a Jew, one of the things he really would have stood for would be election. Not as in the election that's about to happen in our country, but election as in we the Jews are the people of God. We have the patriarchs, we have promises, we have the law. God made us his special people. That was really important to Rufus. Another thing that was important to Rufus is Rufus would have been anti-empire. So he doesn't like Caesar because Caesar is a threat or, or really an insult to Yahweh. Caesar can't be on, on the throne. And so Rufus doesn't like Caesar. Uh, Rufus would have thought of himself as more of worthy indigenous people. We, we were here before you showed up. This is our land. We want it back. In fact, you can go read this yourself, but in Romans 13, Paul writes a whole chapter to people like Rufus telling them, pay your taxes. Because people like Rufus were so angry at the empire that they would say, I'm not going to even pay my taxes. Uh, number three, Rufus would have been poor. Most Jews uh, in the Roman church would have been in the lower social class. So in Rome, there's seven social classes. You've got up at the top, you've got royalty, you've got this equestrian class, and then you get lower and into the ranks and you have uh, low-level workers, you've got beggars, and you've got slaves. Most Jews like Rufus would have been in the latter category. And then finally, someone like Rufus, Rufus he would have really believed in uh, Torah observance. So Torah meaning Old Testament law. Rufus bases his identity on observing Torah, and specifically three things. Keeping the Sabbath, dietary restrictions, and circumcision. So those three represented to him his very core identity of who he was in God. We are the people that practice Sabbath. We are the people that, that have food restrictions just like Daniel did in the Old Testament. So this is very, very important to him. Now Hermes is, is, is very different than Rufus. So, so Hermes would not have believed in election. He would have believed in inclusion. And he would have said something like, this is why Jesus died on the cross. Like, I don't, I don't have to believe all these old laws and practice all these commandments and, and know your whole story. J Jesus died for me. He wanted to include all of us into his kingdom. So we're, we're very much about the kingdom being much bigger than the Jewish people. Hermes also would have been pro-empire. He loves the empire. Rome is great. Rome brought aqueducts in. We've got water going to all these people. Roma is bringing, Rome is bringing peace and stability to the world. And so for Hermes... He thinks Rome's great. He's going to pay his taxes. In fact, because uh, Hermes is, is so invested in Rome, over time, people like Hermes then would have benefited from Rome by being very rich. So people like Hermes had higher status. They had better homes, better jobs, more money than people like Rufus. And then finally, this is so important, Hermes would have built his faith on the idea of Torah liberation. So all these commandments in the Old Testament that you people follow, this is why Jesus died on the cross. I, we don't have to um, 
live under the yoke of, of the law, Jesus has set us free from that. And so you can see they're very, very different. Like when I imagine them going to a church potluck, they probably don't have much to talk about because there is so little they have in common. Now, to make matters even worse, I mean, it's already tense as it is, something really peculiar happens in A.D. 49. So the emperor, his name is Claudius, and he needs some reputation points. And so he deports all the Jews. So they're, they're just, overnight, all the Jews are taken away. Now, as far as how this affected the church, most people in this church at the beginning would have been people like Rufus because the church developed out of the synagogue. And so the synagogue would have been Jewish. And so therefore, the first church that started in these early years would have been mostly Jewish. And then you'd have some people in the back row like, like Hermes. Well, then overnight, Rufus and all the Jews, they're gone. And so what this means is then Hermes got to step up to the plate. And so people like Hermes, they're the one preaching and they're, they're teaching and they're serving communion and they're, they're in charge of the benevolence programs. And, and this lasts for quite a few years and they get pretty good at this. Like they are pretty good at running the church. Well, then Claudius dies and the new emperor says, hey, Jews, come on back. And so then people like Rufus, they start migrating back to Rome. Now imagine what that would be like for someone like Rufus. He's been gone for five years. He finally comes back and he gets to go to his, his old house and he gets to go to the old street where he used to buy things from the marketplace and he sees all of his old friends and it's all going really, really well. And then he shows up to church and it's being run by the other party. I mean, you talk about division in this church. These, these guys didn't like each other at all. In fact, I, I read this great book several months ago called Reading Romans Backwards. It's by scholar Scott McKnight. And he talks a lot about this historical background. And his take on the book of Romans is, is that on, on the one hand, most of us think of the book of Romans as, well, it's this book where it, it's about justification by faith. It's about how does the individual leave their sinful life and come to believe in Jesus and get saved and go to heaven? Well, well partially that's what Romans is about. But McKnight observes that at the heart of Romans is really how do you bring peace to a church that is divided by the politics of its day? So you talk about a relevant book. Like this is, this is extremely relevant for our day and age as we find ourselves divided. And I know our, our country is so divided right now, it's amazing just, just how much anger I sense bubbling under the surface of so many people. But the more I read about these guys and their story in the book of Romans, I think their tension in Rome was more than we feel in our hearts today. And so what this means is that, like, what Paul told them to do is so important that we read it and we understand it as far as um, what we can do today. So that's what I want to do is I want to read you what Paul wrote uh, to people like Hermes and Rufus. Romans 14, verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. This would be Hermes. Secondly, uh, another person eats only vegetables. That would be Rufus. So Hermes is fine eating anything. Uh, Rufus 
he would be more like Daniel. He has these restrictions. Uh, verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than another. So this would be Rufus, Sabbath day, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, Day of Atonement. These are really important days for Rufus and all the Jews. But then another person considers every day alike. This is Hermes. Do you know what the Day of Atonement is for Hermes? Thursday. I mean, this guy, it's all the same to him. He doesn't have special days. And so Paul is pointing out, he's pointing out each of them and their different views. But then he goes on to say this, and this is so important. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now this is amazing. I think this is revolutionary because if I'm in this church 2,000 years ago, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a side. And I might be on Hermes' side, and if I'm on Hermes' side, I'm going to look at Rufus and say, Rufus, what are you doing? Like, your, your adherence and your devotion to circumcision and these dietary laws and all this Old Testament stuff, that makes my family feel like an outsider. Like, we don't feel as good as you. We feel like we're on the margins. We feel less than because of how passionate you are about all this Old Testament stuff. But maybe I'd be on Rufus's side. If I'm, Ruf, if I'm on Rufus's side, I'd say, Hermes, what are you doing? You, you come into our church and you don't even know names like David, Moses, Abraham. This is our story. These are our ancestors. This is our faith. And you come in here and just expect us to treat you exactly the same when you are disrespecting our heritage? I mean, so maybe you're tracking with me here, but both guys have a good point. And what I'm saying is if I had been in this church 2,000 years ago, I would have taken a side. And that's what's so amazing about Paul is he doesn't take a side. In fact, if you'll notice, Paul does something pretty amazing in this text. There's three words that are really important. To the Lord. He says it three times. He says, Rufus, you are practicing the Sabbath day to the Lord. And he says, Hermes, you are eating meat to the Lord. It's amazing. Paul's acknowledging that these are both expressions of faith. And so here's, this is a choice I think that you and I have to make. And it's not just a, like a once in a lifetime choice. I think this is a, you got to make this choice every day. You can choose to either deepen the wedge or widen the bridge. And a lot of us choose to deepen the wedge. Meaning that when we come into contact with someone with whom we disagree, what we do is we take the one thing we disagree about and we make that really big. I can't, you believe, I can't believe you think this and I can't believe you have this view. And what Are you not reading what I'm reading? Are you not studying what I'm studying? Are you, are you not thinking like I'm thinking? And, and obviously the answer is no, they're not. But we make the issue so big and we just deepen the wedge further and further and further. So we feel more divided and more divided. But that's not what Paul does. And he could have. He widens the bridge. He says, hey, Let's talk about what we can agree about. And what I'm saying is both of you are living out your political views through the lens of your faith. Now, at, at this point, you might, I don't, know, I don't know what you're thinking, but I, I know some people might, might push back a little here and say, well, yeah, Phil, if our issues today 
where dietary laws and food restrictions and Sabbath day and election versus inclusion, if these were our issues, then I, I could be a lot more graceful towards a potential opponent. But our issues today, they're so much more extreme. They're so much more volatile. You, you just name whatever issues on your mind or heart right now. And that's what we think is these are so much bigger than the issues back then. But that's not necessarily true. See, here's something you can go look, look, about, look this up on your own. In the book of Acts, there are three riots. Acts 17, Acts 19, and Acts 21. So this is, these riots happened because things got so bad uh, that, that people took to the streets. They, they took out their anger on each other. Do you know why the riots happened? Acts 17. The reason the riot happened was a disagreement about election versus inclusion. Acts 19, the riot occurred because of a disagreement because of a pro-empire versus anti-empire stance. Acts 21, it was Torah observance versus Torah liberation. So what I'm saying is that these issues, to us, they might seem like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not very significant. But to them, it was their whole world. I mean, it was all they talked about. It was what they thought about. If they had late night talk shows, that's what they would have talked about. If, if there was cable news back then, these would have been the issues covered day in and day out, 24-7. These were the issues that were dividing their world. And what does Paul do? His big approach is this. Our common faith, our common faith is greater than our divided politics. In fact, then Paul goes on to give them specific instructions. And so here's what he says. Uh, verse 3, he says, The one who eats everything, so this would be Hermes, someone like Hermes, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, which would be Rufus. In other words, he's saying, Hermes, don't just walk around with this attitude of superiority like, I, I know better than you. Don't do that because you don't know better than him. But then he says this to Rufus. He says, the one who does not eat everything, Rufus, don't judge the one who does because God has accepted them. So in other words, Rufus, don't walk around thinking that you're more spiritual than Hermes because you have a few things that you practice a little differently than him. Don't do that. So here's, here's what Paul's getting at. Paul is not trying to change their political views. What he is trying to do is he's trying to change their hearts towards people of a different political view. So notice he doesn't say, Rufus, Hermes is right, change your mind. And he also doesn't say, Hermes, Rufus is right, change your mind. What he does do is he says, both of you. I want you to change your heart towards the person with whom you disagree. I mean, can you imagine, just for a minute, just, just pretend with me for a second. What would happen this week if you spent more energy changing your heart towards someone with whom you disagree rather than trying to change their mind? I mean, can you imagine how much mental and emotional space that that would free up? Because the reality is, you know what we do? We spend a lot of our time trying to change what other people think, and it's exhausting. It's hard. I'll give you one more interesting insight about this passage, and you, you can go look this one up on your own. I'm not going to tell you the answer. In the book of Romans, Paul actually tells us which one of these two he sides with. Like, 
he's not in both camps. He is more in the camp of one versus the other, but I'm not going to tell you which one that he sides with. You can go look that up because the point I'm trying to make is that Paul doesn't play that card right here. The card that, that Paul is playing right here is, is he's saying, guys, you've got to come together. Widen the bridge. We're not going to deepen the wedge. We're going to widen the bridge. In fact, he, he gives them what I think is, this might be the hardest one another in the Bible. In the middle of this passage, he gives them this one another, and it's so hard. He doesn't, he doesn't say forgive one another, which is very hard. He doesn't say serve one another, also hard, or even love one another. You know what he says? He says, accept one another. Accept one another out of reverence for Christ, or just as Christ has, has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And that's amazing. He's, can you just accept? Can you just accept one another. Now, I'll pause here and I'll say this because, again, I don't know exactly what you're thinking, but you might be thinking this. Whoa, 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 Phil. Are you saying there's no standards? Are you saying there's no truth? Are you saying that we just, anything goes? No, I, I'm actually not saying that at all. I, I think there's standards. I think there's truth. In fact, let me just, let me read you what Paul says about this. Again, same chapter. He says this, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. Are there standards? You bet, absolutely. Is there truth? Yes. Amen. Amen. And, and I'll even go further that, than that and say there's a judge and he's going to judge the world one day and all people have to stand before him. Republicans and Democrats are going to be held accountable before the judge someday. So all I'm saying here is that some of us need to stop stealing his robe, and stop holding his gavel. We spend a lot of wasted time trying to do something that we were never asked to do. He is the judge, and he knows the heart and the intention and the motives of all people, even the people that you disagree with. And so you can spend all day and all night being mad about so-and-so and they're the worst person in the world and how dare they say this and how dare they post that and I can't believe they said this. They will answer before God just like you will, but it's your job and it's my job to play the role. And your role is not judge. And my role is not judge. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story here. This is pretty interesting. So I, I think this is the most um, untold part of a, of a fairly famous story from just a few years ago. Chick-fil-A came under big, big uh, fire a few years ago because of Dan Cathy, their founder's traditional stance on marriage, and in their philanthropic portfolio, they had certain monies going to what some people perceive as hate groups. And so a guy named Shane Winmeyer organized a, a pretty uh, high-profile protest through an organization called Campus Pride. And all over the country, uh, people started boycotting Chick-fil-A, protesting Chick-fil-A. Well, then there was this uh, counter-protest. It's like the protest against the protest. And a, a lot of people that support Chick-fil-A, they put on their own Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day across the country. And so hundreds of thousands of people went and bought sandwiches, and it was this really, really big event. Well, here's what I found really interesting about this story. It's what Dan did do and didn't do. Dan, the, the founder and owner of Chick-fil-A, he didn't ask the protesters to leave any Chick-fil-A. He didn't blast Shane for launching this, this big campaign against him. And he actually didn't even 
show up to Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day, even though he, he could have. But here's what he did do. He got Shane's number, and he called him, and he invited him to dinner. And they went out, and they sat down, and they had a conversation. And Dan wasn't talking, or he didn't get together with Shane in order to yell at him. He got together with Shane to listen to him. And so they had dinner once. They had dinner a second time. They had dinner a third time. And Dan just started asking questions. Tell me what, tell me what you think. Tell me what you believe. Help me understand if my organization is causing harm to other people. And what's amazing is that the, the reason we even know that this happened and the reason that we know that these people got together isn't because Dan publicly said, hey, everybody, you should be proud of me because I went and talked to someone that I disagree with. We know this because Shane wrote about it. So here's what uh, Shane put. Shane wrote this in an article about his conversations with Dan. He said, never once did Dan ask for Campus Pride to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, Dan listened to our concerns and sought first to understand, not be understood. Dan and I shared respectful, enduring communication and built trust. His demeanor has always been one of kindness and openness. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A. Here's how uh, the Apostle Peter put it. 1 Peter 2, Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. In fact, so the, one more thing I'll tell you about the story is Dan invited Shane to the Chick-fil-A Bowl that, several years ago. <laughs> Shane's entire organization had boycotted the bowl. Like they weren't going and they had told everybody, don't go to the bowl. Well, then Shane gets invited by Dan himself. Hey, come sit in my suite. And Shane went. And the reason Shane went is because of Dan. Isn't this remarkable? Like, like you've got the founder of Chick-fil-A inviting over to dinner the very man who's protesting his organization. That's how he's handling his disagreement. So, Here's, here's the point. Love is an action, not an opinion. It's an action. We live in this world in which everybody expects everybody else to be fired up about something. And where everybody else expects you to have an opinion about everything and to share that opinion. It's just the world we live in. Let me tell you about what I think about this. And well, so-and-so said this. Let me tell you what I think about that. And so-and-so did this. And so-and-so did this. And there was this policy and that policy and this. And this. Let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what I think. There's, there's opinions everywhere. And, and I've been thinking a lot about like, what's, like what's the value of an opinion? And so I'll tell you my opinion about opinions is this. The value of an opinion is, is that it makes the one who holds the opinion feel better about themselves. That's what opinions do. But that's not love. Love is an action. So I want you to fast forward a year from now, two years from now. You, I mean, you tell me what's going to make more of a difference. A generous gift or an angry post. A listening ear or a vengeful email. Like I know a lot of us, our first gut reaction is, I, I, I want to tell you my opinion, but I'm telling you that what good does it do for the world when we all just shout out at, at each other all the time? It, it doesn't do, do any good to anybody. Love is an action, 
not an opinion. I want to give you one more verse from this incredible passage in Romans 14. <laughs> this one, I'm not, it's not funny, but it, it makes me nervous that Paul says this. Uh, he says this in verse 14. So again, we're talking about the most divisive political issues of their day. And Paul says this, whatever you believe about these things, as in these really hot-button political issues, keep between yourself and God. Like, what? It's in the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible. That's what Paul says. Keep these things between yourself and God. Now you might think, what? How's that going to help? That's just being avoidant. And that, that's just operating out of fear. I, I don't know. You can take this one up with Paul when you meet him in heaven. But that's what he said. See, here's, here's the thing. Sometimes the requirement of love is silence. Think about Jesus and Pilate. Or another way of putting this would be sometimes part of growing up is learning when to shut up. Sometimes the most wonderful thing you can do, the most loving and compassionate and good thing you can do is simply not speak. And it takes a lot of wisdom to know when those moments come. Now, let me, let me say one more thing about Rufus and Hermes as we close. Maybe, maybe you have this list in your head. I have a running list of events in the Bible that I would want to go back to and, and live again or see. Uh, one would be David and Goliath. Love to see that. I'd love to see the resurrection. But I'm adding something to my list. I want to go back on a Sunday in Rome to church and watch these two guys walk in. Because here's what I'm thinking happens. I think they sit on opposite sides of the room. I think Rufus has probably already told his kids, you can talk to people, but don't, don't talk to people like Hermes. Like, again, I don't think these guys liked each other. In fact, my guess, if I had to guess, if these guys are born today, I think one of them wears a mask. I think one of them doesn't wear a mask. And I think both of them roll the eyes at the other. I think one of them probably supports immigration. One of them doesn't. I think you can go down the list and they would be different on so many issues today. I think one of them would wear a Jewish Lives Matter t-shirt. I think the other would wear a Gentile Lives Matter t-shirt. I don't think they liked each other at all. But here's the amazing part. They show up at church. And in the middle of the service, something remarkable would happen. They'd get bread and they would get wine and they would come together and they would say something like this. This is the body of Christ. And you are my brother in Christ. And I know there's a lot of things that pull us apart. But in this moment, the thing that brings us together is more powerful than all the things that pull us apart. If you'll bow with me, let's close in a prayer. Father, there are so many things that pull us apart. Our politics pull us apart. Our opinions about our politics pull us apart. But Father, there's a lot of things that bring us together. Most importantly, the blood of Jesus brings us together.
And Father, when we take the bread and the wine like Rufus and Hermes did, we declare just like they did that there's something a lot more powerful than the issues that pull us apart. Father, we, we believe you died for all people, for black and white, for red and blue, all. And we confess to you that, that many, many times we have driven that wedge deep and we have pushed people away and we have put up walls against people with whom we disagree. But Father, we are asking that the blood of Jesus, which for centuries has been bringing diverse people together, we're praying that that can happen again right now in this moment, in this country. Father, we, we need your peace. Sometimes we don't even know how to make it. You called us to be peacemakers, and we don't really know how to do that. So would you help us to learn how to bring your peace to this world that desperately needs it. Father, our common faith is greater than our divided politics. Help us to remember that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.